Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump's court plan quickens with a pick due on Saturday. And the latest on SCOTUS Watch Plus, stocks climb as dip buyers emerge after the sell-off. All of that plus an exclusive conversation with Congressman Matt Gates, the Republican from Florida. He's been making a lot of noise lately. I got an exclusive with him up on Capitol Hill earlier today. We'll kick things off with that. So much news to get through today. Uh, especially now as we're carefully monitoring President Trump's court plan. President Donald Trump's plan to replace the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the U.S. Supreme Court gained momentum on Tuesday after Senate Republicans all but quashed Democrats' hopes of stalling a nominee until Inauguration Day. Trump said he'll announce his pick on Saturday, setting an accelerated timetable as Senator Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. He said he's going to support the move. Moving forward with a confirmation vote, there was a lot of speculation that Senator Romney wasn't going to be someone, wasn't going to be someone who Republicans could count on, on this Supreme Court pick. Democrats were saying, Mitt, we need you on our side. But ultimately what happened was Senator Romney said, no, no way. And here's, here's the backstory, right? Maybe I shouldn't say this. Here's the backstory. So I get up on Capitol Hill in Cannon, the Rotunda, and Congressman Matt Gates, who's got this new book out called Firebrand, he comes to the staff and he goes... Kev, did you see the news about Senator Romney? It had just broken. I said, no, I'm not at the terminal. And he said, well, Senator Romney's going to be on board with the Republicans. So we began our conversation with Congressman Matt Gates, who is very vocal. You know, he's one of those Republicans not afraid to buck the Republican establishment. We began our conversation talking about the Supreme Court, and then we got to some other issues. And really what I wanted to figure out is if the Supreme Court's going to suck the oxygen out of the room of, uh, oh, I don't know, fiscal stimulus. Anyway, take a listen to my conversation with Congressman Gates. Here he is. I want to get your reaction to the Republicans in the Senate. And I know they're your counterparts uh, in the Senate, but the Supreme Court, do you think there's anything that Speaker Pelosi could do that could make it more difficult for the Senate to take up a confirmation process? 
Take a moment and just ponder what that question means. I mean, Nancy Pelosi has spent the last three years telling America that Donald Trump is some, like, fundamental threat to all of our institutions and that he will shake the foundations of how Washington operates. And now she's talking about using impeachment, potentially, as a way to procedurally jam the Senate. And it's one thing for the Democrats to have embraced FDR on the New Deal economic policies, but now they're even potentially embracing FDR's court-packing strategy. They might want to check the history books and see how that worked out for him. All right. So what does this mean, though, for other agenda items on Congress, like fiscal stimulus, like additional, like keeping the government open? Where did those things stand? So just look at this week. This week, we were supposed to have a vote on the MORE Act, which would be the most substantial marijuana reform that the country has ever engaged in. I'm the only Republican co-sponsor of that bill and was looking forward to sending it to the Senate. Nancy Pelosi pulled it off the calendar because she doesn't want any controversial votes for her members leading up to the election. So I would say whether it's an important matter of policy before the House or a Supreme Court nomination before the Senate, let's do our freaking jobs. Like, we get elected to serve a full two-year term. This would be like in the NBA playoffs, a team just deciding that it's the fourth quarter and they want to stop the game and wait to see who might coach the other side next season. It's ludicrous. We're elected for a full term. We should do our job for the full term. And if you look at just this week, substantive areas of policy with bipartisan support are getting ripped off of the agenda for politics. Do you think that there will be a fiscal stimulus deal reached before the election or is it going to have to wait till the lame uh, I think there are areas of broad agreement that trace the president's executive orders, whether that is relief for renters or whether it is um, a way to sort of bridge the gap for businesses and, and even individuals. The problem is Democrats in Congress don't want to give the president a win tens of days before the election. So it's as if we're frozen in place right now you know, paralyzed by our own politics, when I do think that we could get agreement on business assistance and paycheck protection, we could get agreement on individual assistance, we might have different ways of calculating state and local assistance, but that's only stopping us because of the upcoming election. You, know, you write about this in your book, Firebrand, but I, and I say this respectfully, but, you know, it, it, you've got to be frustrated even with members of your own party. Because to outside of Washington, we always talk about Wall Street, but on Main Street, small businesses, they're, they're looking at this and they're thinking, this wouldn't fly in, in, on Main Street if we didn't do our job. So why is Congress able to get away with it? Uh, Congress is fundamentally corrupt. Uh, what happens in this town is the exchange of money for favors. Sometimes that money comes in the form of campaign donations. Sometimes people get their spouses and relatives hired to no-show jobs. And that really drives things around here more than the American people would ever tolerate if they saw it with their own eyes. So I lay bare in my book how you have to pay for committee assignments. I paid $75,000 to get on the Armed Services Committee. How people uh, have to donate certain money to be eligible for leadership posts. And I think that on an issue like you describe, business assistance, individual assistance to help bridge the gap to a recovery on coronavirus. It's the perfect example of how the needs of regular Americans aren't being met because this system is so fundamentally broken. You've emerged as a key critic of big tech institutions, most notably on Facebook. Where do you stand right now in terms of the process of where the Facebook antitrust potentially uh, decisions are going and oversight is going over Silicon Valley? I'll level with you. 
Congress is never going to take on big tech because Congress is bought and paid for by big tech. And so if we want to see... Big tech might disagree with you right now. Well, I mean, like, they, the they might disagree with me, but they would have three lobbyists to deploy to every single congressional office to pursue that disagreement, okay? And again, like, if you look at... I write in my book about how relatives of members of Congress get these, like, no-show jobs with technology companies, and then all of a sudden those politicians aren't eager to engage in review or oversight. But there is a path forward. In the president's second term, we have the opportunity to reshape the Federal Communications Commission and the Federal Elections Commission. When Twitter and Facebook and other digital platforms are no longer acting as an unbiased platform, I believe the FCC could take regulatory action against them, and I believe the Federal Election Commission could find them guilty of election meddling. And if we just got big tech companies to behave properly, I think they can add a lot of value, obviously, to people's lives. It's when you see them trying to control what people see and what they think so they can control how they act that I have a lot of objections. And that's American big tech companies. Now we've also got to be talking about China big tech companies. You look at Oracle, you look at TikTok and the developments on that particular deal. How should the U.S., does it only have to come from the executive branch or should Congress play a role in making sure that national security interests are protected as a result of China tech companies now? Yeah, I mean, Republicans and Democrats for the last generation tried to sell us on this chimerica dream, and it's really become a nightmare. I write in my book Firebrand uh, a chapter entitled China is not our friend. And China doesn't have an innovation economy because they don't have a free market. So they steal stuff. And they've developed this dual-use technology like TikTok, like DJI drones, like some of their genomics companies that, that get stakes in the uh, collection of American genetic material. They're using all of that for dual use to facilitate their strategic advantage. Uh, I do not believe we are going to make China more like us by drawing them closer. I actually think that we become vulnerable when we draw China too close to us. And that's why I think this president's tough approach is the right one. And I hope it's enduring within the Republican Party. That was my conversation with Congressman Matt Gates, a Republican from Florida. Speaking of China, we're going to check in in the next half hour with Morgan Ortegas. She is the spokesperson for the United States State Department. Uh, and of course, on a day like today, China front and center, given President Trump's remarks at UNGA, the UN General Assembly, UNGA. Uh, plus, coming up next, we're going to check in on the economic front with uh, my good friend, my colleague, Kriti Gupta. She's Bloomberg Markets Live's reporter, Wild Day on the markets. We'll dive into the specifics of that. He talked about fiscal stimulus. I mean, they're still optimistic, but who knows anymore? Who really even knows? Beautiful day here in the nation's capital. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find me on Radio.com iHeartRadio and Spotify. My name is Kevin Cirilli, Congressman Denver Riggleman in the next hour, Republican from Virginia. And you're listening to Bloomberg Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. 
At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. Uh, the video chat in the breaks always puts me in a good mood. Barada, our executive produ- producer, and uh, Shirley, Shirley, our uh our producer, our booker. Anyway, dizzying day on the markets. Rita Nazareth, Velanda Hadrick on the Bloomberg terminal. Stocks climbed as dip buyers emerged after the market sell-off, tempering concern over remarks from Federal Reserve officials that pointed to a slow economic recovery, the dollar rose. Most groups in the S&P 500 advanced, with retailers and tech companies among the biggest gainers. NASDAQ 100 notched a back-to-back rally while the Dow Jones Industrial Average underperformed amid a drop in banks. Joining us now on the telephone line, Kriti Gupta. She's a Bloomberg Markets live reporter. Kriti, what happened in the markets today? Well, you actually saw an update in markets, which is pretty great after you've had all these days of continued weakness. And nevertheless, you saw them led by those big tech names. So definitely good news in the markets uh, for anyone invested in big tech, which is quite a lot of people, Kevin. As you know, we've had quite the rally in big tech leading up to this month. Um, and yet another day, uh, we really saw a defensive bid in markets today, a little bit of concern on the economy. Of course, we aren't getting that kind of uh, encouragement from Washington that we need on that fiscal stimulus, as you yourself have reported quite a bit on. Um, And that's really what you saw in the markets today. You saw that haven bid for the dollar and the haven bid for big tech. I want to get to... I want to get to uh, fiscal stimulus uh, in just a second, but I I actually want to hear from... um, I I want to get into the Fed. Sorry, I was pulling that up. uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell said the economy has a long way to go before fully recovering, and he went on to say that it will need further support. And then you've got Chicago Fed President Charles Evans noting that rates could rise. Rates could rise, according to Charles Evans, before the inflation target is reached. What did we gather today, Critty, from the uh, Fed officials who spoke out publicly? Well, this comes from uh, Fed President uh, Evans was actually quite uh, a market mover for for stocks and for the dollar today. Uh, You actually saw the dollar reach the session highs, really advancing that uh, kind of haven bid for the dollar. And what's kind of scary here is that he's actually talking about like you mentioned, raising rates. Um, that being said, let's put, put this in a little bit of context. What he was actually referring to is just the inflation targeting over the long term. So you could essentially, since we're talking about an average inflation target of 2%, you could essentially overshoot uh, to, to over 2% inflation and then talk about raising rates. He's talking more about, well, we can consider raising rates 
maybe in 2027, 2028, way, way down the road when we may get close to that mark. So he's just saying that that's something they could consider. He's not necessarily saying he's in favor of it, just that some people might bring it up as we get to that point. That being said, that's still very, very far away. But even just talking about the fact and even considering that sometime down the road that we could be raising rates, that was enough to move the markets today. So that's what's happening from the central bank. I want to go across the pond, as they say, because British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement of new restrictions that are likely to last six months. Wow. Six months. Uh, he told people to work from home if possible, saying that the country is at a perilous turning point, his words, for the virus. You know, I, I bring this up, Kriti Gupta, uh, because... It's the coronavirus and the developments around the world, in this case across the pond, are also still very much weighing on investors. How has what's been happening in the UK impacted sort of the uneasiness? Are people worried that some of those restrictions might happen in the United States uh, sometime soon? Well, you nailed it, Kevin. That's exactly what uh, investors are worried about. And you saw it really happen yesterday's session when you saw this kind of massive hit to stocks. Um, I think it was like a 2% sell-off yesterday, and we're only up by uh, uh, less than 1% today on the S&P 500. So, yes, the answer to your question is absolutely. Whatever's happening in Europe is definitely weighing on the United States. And I think the best example to talk about, a very extreme example but still relevant here, is what you saw back in March. When the virus first started spreading, you saw it spread um, in China, in Asia, and then it really started to hit the U.S. market when um, Milan was became kind of the center and became the epicenter in Europe. And that's when you started seeing markets in the U.S. panic. And then, of course, when it spread to London, um, Paris, etc. Wow. And that's kind of the similar idea that you're seeing now. London and New York are not that far apart when you talk about time difference. Uh, of course, there's an ocean in between, but what tends to happen in Europe will definitely impact the U.S. So it is stoking some fears. The positive side about that is that the travel between the two continents right now is put at a standstill. So you are a little bit insulated from what happens in Europe. Nevertheless, uh, given that we do need that global economic rebound to really boost the United States as well, that's really what you're lacking here. All right. If all that uncertainty, Kriti Gupta, wasn't enough for you, oh yeah, some drama. On Capitol Hill. Take a listen to what Jay Powell, Fed Chair Jay Powell, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, who was testifying up there uh, on, on Capitol Hill. They were testifying. Take a listen to Jay Powell and Secretary Mnuchin, Chairman Powell, I, I apologize, Chairman Powell and Secretary Mnuchin testifying up there on Capitol Hill. Here they are. Roll the tape. I think that it is likely that, that more fiscal support will be needed. I think the next package should be much more targeted. It should be focused on kids and jobs and areas of the economy that are still hard hit. The recovery will go faster if we have, a, if we have both tools continuing to work together, as they have so far, I think, worked very well together. We're inclined to allow for additional flexibility on the money that's already gone out to state and local governments. We need to reopen the economy so people can go back to work, and we need to do it in a sustainable way. I mean, I hear that, Kriti Gupta, and what they're saying is they need more stimulus. They're saying they need more stimulus. What is Wall Street saying? What are investors saying? Are they nervous? Are they starting to get nervous that with all of this volatility coming out of the nation's capital, SCOTUS pick, an election, a CR deal, that this economic stimulus might not come? Where are they on that? There's a lot of nervousness in the markets for sure. And of course, this is piling risks 
Washington that you're seeing. Yeah. Um, I think you really just name them all. The Supreme Court justice pick, uh, election risk, which of course you're seeing priced into futures contracts, getting into the technicals there. But um, you are really seeing that going into November. Uh, not to mention the stopgap funding bill, which we do have a government shutdown looming. And then you have fiscal stimulus. So you do have a lot kind of on lawmakers' minds. Um, and of course, that has Wall Street really worrying about uh, where their head is at, how much uh, devotion is uh, that fiscal stimulus piece of the equation really getting right now? It's it's really remarkable. And Mark Meadows, the president's chief of staff, speaking out today earlier, folks, and even drop, throwing some cold water on that agreement in principle that the Democrats and the Republicans had agreed on at the end of last week, prior, of course, to the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Because now... Now the clock gets even more difficult. Now, with all of the nomination hearings, the increase in in the magnifying glass over the election, this CR deal is it is it could be used as a bargaining chip, dare I say, in the Supreme Court picks. We just don't know. We just don't know. Uh, just quickly in the sixty seconds that I have left with you, Kriti Gupta, what is one thing that's on your radar in the markets for the next twenty four hours? Well, it absolutely has to be um, anything coming up on that government shutdown. That seems mm-hmm. to be the closest deadline that we're facing coming up in uh, just about a week. So yeah. any kind of progress on there will be a little bit more encouragement for the fiscal stimulus side of things. You know, for everybody who says that uh, that Washington isn't important, all you got to do is turn on the news today, go on the Bloomberg terminal today, <laughs> and you'll know that every conversation, folks, every conversation is stemming from Washington, D.C. Kriti Gupta, great to talk with you. Thank you, Kriti, so much for, for making the time for me today. She, of course, is our Bloomberg Markets Live reporter all over the twists and turns of what's going on in the market. More coming up next. We check in with Morgan Ortegas at the State Department. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Live from our nation's capital. How do we reopen this economy? The latest on how this pandemic is impacting farmers. What does this do for the United States' relationship with China? Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. We're responding to this crisis and manufacturers are stepping up like never before. We're looking at 70 candidates for different vaccines. How do we make sure a pandemic of this scale never happens again? This is Bloomberg Sound Off with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 991 and 105.7 FM HD2. Supreme Court pick the timetable extends to Saturday. President Trump says he's picking a pick for the Supreme Court on Saturday. What does it mean for the CR fight? What does it mean for the presidential debate? And President Trump also delivering remarks at the UN General Assembly. We're going to kick off the hour with an exclusive interview with Morgan Ortegas, spokesperson for the U.S. Department of State. Lots to get through. Congressman Denver Riggleman will join us as well. Coming up, continuing coverage of this president's uh, Supreme Court saga, really. Who's he going to replace uh, for to the court for uh, following the passing of RBG? But first, I want to start with geopolitics, because President Trump and General... President Xi Jinping clashed today uh, at the U.N. General Assembly, and it just underscored the widening rift between the uh, 
between the two biggest economies that the UN's chief said risks breaking up the world into rival spheres of influence. Joining us now on the telephone line, Morgan Ortega, State Department spokesperson. Morgan, thanks for joining us. What did we hear today from President Trump at the UN General Assembly? Thanks so much for having me, uh, Kevin. I appreciate it. I mean, listen, I think when it relates to the United States and China and, and geopolitics, this administration um, clearly signaled to the world when President Trump came in his first year of office, one of the first things his National Security Council did is to develop the national security strategy. Now, why should any of your listeners care about that? Well, that's because that is the uh, guiding document uh, that a new president makes in order to shift what is going to be the president's priorities and, and how we see the world. Now, uh, until President Trump came into office for about 15 years, for obvious reasons, uh, President Bush and President uh, Barack Obama were very focused on counterterrorism, uh, and counterinsurgencies, Iraq, Afghanistan, and, and, and we were, you know, Syria. We were obviously mired down in the Middle East and, and Southeast Asia. When President Trump came to office, he signaled in his national security strategy that we were re returning to an era of great power competition. And that is, of course, between uh, primarily between the United States and China, but also Russia as well. So we know that China is a strategic competitor. A lot of the behaviors and the things that we are calling out are things that have been going on for a long time. It is not new. It's just you've had subsequent administrations, and I'm being critical of both sides here, uh, that did not call out China uh, as aggressively as the Trump administration has on their actions because the hope was, Listen, if we do business with them, if we bring them into multilateral institutions, they're going to modernize, they're going to open up. And instead, we've seen under President Xi's leadership that the Chinese Communist Party is exactly uh, what their name says they are, a group of communists trying to run a very, very large country. Well, I want to get to Iran in a second, but I, I just want to follow up here uh, on the issue of U.S.-China relations. Here, here, take a listen to what President Trump said today at the U.N. General Assembly specifically about China. Here he is. We must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. In the earliest days of the virus, China locked down travel domestically while allowing flights to leave China and infect the world. That was President Trump speaking earlier at the U.N. General Assembly in, pre in a pre-recorded yeah. uh, statement. But Morgan Ortega, spokesperson for the State Department, I mean, what do you say to folks who say that they're kind of, I guess, frustrated that there hasn't been more of a bipartisan, I don't want to get you to weigh in on Congress, but more of a bipartisan, more of a, a deeply skeptical, united Western ally front taking a look at President Xi for the lack of transparency, for the abuses against journalists, for the, for the lack of transparency with scientists. I mean, people have a lot right. of questions for China. So I think that's a great question. I think there's a few a, a few positive things that we've seen on the world stage. Um, first, uh, the, uh, the EU uh, Foreign Minister Burrell um, and Secretary Pompeo at, at a uh, conference between the two of them, the Foreign Minister Burrell uh, said that we should have an EU-U.S.-China dialogue. Uh, we have been working on that, and that is something that we all think is incredibly positive, and it's showing a shift. I would say a dramatic shift, even from where we were two years ago with the European Union uh, on the issue of the CCP. We've also seen a lot of uh, progress with our campaign against Huawei and any 5G network that is beholden to an authoritarian regime. Uh, you've seen the Brits have, re have reversed course. 
Um, and you've seen uh, as it relates to Huawei. And we're seeing more and more countries sign up uh, all the time uh, for what we call our 5G clean path. I know that you've had Keith Croc on Bloomberg yep. to, to talk in detail about this, and so your listeners uh, know this issue quite well. So we see a lot of um, a, a lot of successes, and, and that is, you know, it's a hard-fought several-year campaign since Secretary Mike Pompeo has been uh, in office to to sort of remove the blinders from our eyes about exactly who we're dealing with and 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 what we're we're getting. Um, and of course, as it as it relates to the Congress, you know, I obviously speak for the State Department, and the administration, but I will say that you know, there's things that the bipartisan members of Congress have been paying attention and have passed legislation um, on the plight of the Uyghurs. This is a yeah. Muslim ethnic minority in Xinjiang, China, that are being put into camps, at least a million in camps, forced re-education camps. It's really one of the grave and grave human rights abuses of our times. So I do think that the tide has uh, turned, especially very quickly in the United States. And, and listen, as it relates to COVID-19, I think uh, the whole world um, is now frustrated for what they saw as a very, very weak response by China. We still don't have live virus samples. We still don't know about patient zero. All we know is that the Chinese Communist Party have told us that this started in a wet market, and we have no independent verification of anything that they have alleged to the world. It's just, it's just really, really, really uh, startling, the lack of transparency. Morgan Ortegas is with us, and now I want to pivot to, to Iran as well as to, to Venezuela, because new sanctions uh, imposed against Iran as well as Venezuela. What did the Secretary of State uh, do on the sanctions front within the last day or two? what happened um, is we started looking over the summer at the fact that the Iran arms embargo, this is an arms embargo from any company or country being able uh, to sell conventional weapons. You're talking about planes, you're talking about tanks. Um, That was originally indefinite at the UN Security Council. Under the JCPOA, it's set to expire October 18th. So we began working in the Security Council saying, guys, this is a really big problem. Uh, Iran is still the largest state sponsor of terrorism. They've not moderated their behavior. In fact, they've attacked two of their neighbors recently in Saudi Arabia. As you know well, you covered the story uh, uh, probably more than anyone in Washington when they temporarily took the Saudi uh, oil, uh, you know, off off the markets, you know, the infrastructure. Uh, Massive bombing of the infrastructure. Uh, They also, of course, targeted uh, Iraqi bases, uh, their direct neighbor, with um, uh, they attacked them. These had American and coalition troops uh, present on those bases. They funded terrorist groups that have gone after the, US, after the U.S. embassy. So I could give a ton of examples here. But this is suffice it to say this is not an entity that deserves to buy uh, more weapons on the open market. Uh, we were, of course, unsuccessful in getting the Security Council to extend that embargo. So our only option that remained uh, was to invoke what is called snapback sanctions. And that, as a part of that U.N. Security Council 2231 resolution, uh, that therefore extended the arms um, embargo indefinitely and reimposed new uh, uh, sanctions. And then, of course, President Trump yesterday signed an executive order. So essentially, if you're a company, no matter where you're based around the world, uh, if you sell conventional weapons uh, to Iran or if you are part of their nuclear or missile program, uh, then you're subject to U.S. and United Nations sanctions. I just find it remarkable. I mean, there even we, there were Obama officials who came out and praised Jared's Jared Kushner's uh, handling of, of the Israeli normalization of, of relations with uh, Bahrain and and of course the yep. United Arab Emirates and and 
you know, it's just really remarkable to see the EU not not understanding that a huge driver of that was Iran. I have to leave it there uh, with Morgan Ortegas. Morgan, hey, thank you so much for, for making the time for me today. I appreciate it. I know it was a really busy day for you. Morgan Ortegas, she's, of course, the State Department spokesperson. Coming up, more on the SCOTUS pick. What is Mitt Romney? How did Mitt Romney clear the way for President Trump? You don't want to miss that. We check in with our panel. My name is Kevin Cerulli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful day in the nation's capital. You know, I was walking from the Bureau to uh, Cannon after the Gates interview, and I just was like, you know, Kev, take a deep breath. It's going to be the end of the year soon. The election will come and go. And they'll have a vaccine. Maybe end of the month, maybe next month, maybe end of next year. But eventually, folks, there will be a vaccine. They're all telling us. Uh, Jeannie Zeno is with us, Iona College professor and Bloomberg politics contributor, and Lester Munson, principal at government relations firm BGR Group. Jeannie, you know, Senator Mitt Romney really, uh, really impacted the Supreme Court SCOTUS pick. I mean, Mitt Romney saying that he would be open to there being a vote on the Supreme Court. Because of that, he has cleared the way for there to be action. This is amazing to me, just given the, the history between President Trump and Mitt Romney. What was your reaction, Jeannie Zeno, uh, to, to this development? So, and I agree with you, Kevin. Beautiful day out. I'm in New York, but Thank beautiful you. just as well. Um, you know, it really I think- does a lot. I mean, just I mean, I want to hit. I, the reason I hit it is because I'm one of those people. When it's a nice day out and you're going through something, that weather can just really be a breath of fresh air. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I love it. Um, you know, it, it, I think, um, you know, Mitt Romney's decision, I have to say, I was not myself particularly surprised. I know it deflated a lot of Democrats and a lot of liberals who were sort of hanging their hopes on Mitt Romney, potentially like Cory Gardner, you know, some of these folks that they might, you know, try to 
stop, if you will, Mitch McConnell from moving. Um, I didn't see it that way. I, I thought I, I'm actually surprised myself, actually, that Collins and Murkowski have done that. Um, I do think it's very, very tough when you to stop this, and I do think we are going to see a vote um, by the end of the year. And I've thought that all along, even before she passed, that if somebody resigned or passed there would be a vote with these numbers, and I think that's proven to be true. Lester Munson, I mean, you used to work for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee for former Chairman Bob Corker. I mean, Lester, take us behind the scenes right now. Do the senators, I mean, I I think both, everyone who's looking at this story is looking at it through the prism of politics, right? Democrats are saying, how could they do this? And Republicans are saying, this is their job. For the senators, especially for those senators up for re-election, do, is this a no-brainer? Do they just vote with the party? Or is this a little more complex? Take us behind the scenes, Lester. Well, I think it is a little bit more complex. You know, the uh, the two parties have kind of moved into opposite corners on social issues. And in particular, you really don't find a lot of pro-life Democrats anymore, and you really don't find any, find any pro-choice Republicans. The two pro-choice Republicans left in all of Congress, I believe, are Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. There are no other pro-choice Republicans in either the House or the Senate. I might be missing one or two, but I think those are the only two left. So I think what we're really seeing here is less of a partisanship issue and seeing more of, this is really in the context of the abortion question and Roe v. Wade, which everyone thinks could be overturned if another social conservative is put on the court. And so in that context, I completely agree that Romney, not surprising, he's pro-life. He may be very skeptical of the Trump administration, but at the end of the day, he's a pro-life conservative. It's 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 really going to be uh, fascinating to watch this play out. Take a listen to Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, who spoke earlier today on the Senate floor. Here's Here's Chuck Schumer. If Leader McConnell presses forward, the Republican majority will have stolen two Supreme Court seats, four years apart, using completely contradictory rationales. Is Roe v. Wade on the ballot on November 3rd, Jeannie Zeno, even if, even if the, there's a confirmation vote for the president's uh, selection to replace RBG? I do think that for, you know, I would say I'm going to have to wait and see what we see coming out of those exit polls. As a researcher, I have to say that. But if I was to guess, I would, which is never good, but (laughs) if I was to guess, I would say that for particularly people on the further side of the left and the further side of the right, Roe v. Wade and the Affordable Care Act are inching up, you know, potentially equal with, you know, the issue of COVID and the pandemic um, on the ballot. And I think for me, the unfortunate part of this as a political scientist is that I think we're having the wrong conversation as a nation. The question should be, why would the passing of an elderly woman send the nation into chaos, an election into chaos. It's because this court has been given and taken so much power away from the Democratic branches where it should reside and where Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself said it should reside. So, you know, I think when Lester's talking about issues like Roe v. Wade or you're talking about the Affordable Care Act, to me, in a democracy, you decide that in the legislative branch and not in the Mm. courts. And so that's the, you know, so, so, 
you know, Democrats talking about retaliation, increasing the number of members of the court, you know, and this will go back and forth. But the real conversation should be how much power should a court in a democratic nation have? And I think ours has too much at this point. I find find this remark, I mean, just the conversation on on Roe v. Wade, I'm not sure that that would help uh, the the president make inroads in, in suburban America. But the issue of Obamacare, very much, if you look at the polling from last cycle, could help him make inroads in, in suburban America. And and to your point about expanding the court, Hillary Clinton is speaking at the Bloomberg Equality Summit. And I just got a headline on my terminal while you were speaking, Jeannie Zeno. And it says, Hillary Clinton, SCOTUS vote before the election could mean the end of Obamacare. But then she was also asked, Lester Munson, about expanding the Supreme Court. And Hillary Clinton just said at the Bloomberg Equality Summit, expanding the Supreme Court is a step too far. Wow. Lester, I'm really struck that the former nominee of the Democratic Party says, you know what, Democrats, maybe we shouldn't be pushing to expand the Supreme Court, Lester. We've got like 30 yeah, seconds. I'll, I'm, I'm a little bit cynical on this. And so I'll say I think she's doing that as a favor to Joe Biden. Wow. Joe Biden has said he doesn't want to expand the court. Democrats very much want this issue to be about exactly what Jeannie said, which is Obamacare and uh, pre-existing conditions. They want to frame this as an issue of pre-existing conditions. Yeah. There's a case coming up before the court on that. They don't want yeah. it to be about abortion. Republicans are okay with it being about abortion. All right, we're going to talk more about that. And I, and I, I just learned something there. Maybe Hillary Clinton is providing some cover for Joe Biden on that issue of expanding the court. More coming up next with the panel. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Ginny Zeno is with us. She's an Iona College professor and a Bloomberg politics contributor. And Lester Munson, principal at government relations firm BGR Group. He also, of course, is a former advisor to the former chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Bob Corker. All right. I, I want to continue just to talk about uh, Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who is the president's likely pick for the Supreme Court pick. There are others that is uh, that is on the president's short list. We talked about uh, Roe v. Wade, Jeannie, but I, I want to really focus in and narrow in on the Affordable Care Act. What specifically could the Supreme Court decide as it relates to the ACA or Obamacare? 
Well, with this case they have coming up November 10th, um, if she or another nominee was confirmed, um, you know, in a very timely manner um, and, you know, assumed the bench immediately, and again, that's a very narrow time frame, they will be hearing this case um, out of Texas. And it is a case which potentially, you know, the third big Obamacare Affordable Care Act that the court has heard, and it is a case which potentially could lead to, and again, I think this is a bit extreme. I'm not saying it's it, it, it's not in keeping with the way the courts usually work, but they could decide to overturn the Affordable Care Act, which would leave, you know, millions of people without an option there, you know, because I, I, I don't foresee a replacement of that in, in the next, you know, in, anytime soon. We don't even have something from the Republicans that could replace it at this point. You know, do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. But I do think that that's what we're going to be hearing an awful lot about. That's what we've heard an awful lot about. That's what Joe Biden wants to talk about. He wants to say that, you know, this does, you know, makes people vulnerable during a pandemic on their health care, in particular, pre-existing conditions. And so that's where I think that what we're going to hear a lot of from the Democrats. And politically, I think that makes sense for them to focus there even more than on uh, abortion, quite frankly. Lester Munson, you know, we, we talk so much about the Affordable Care Act, but it, it really is from a strategy perspective. <laughs> Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell absolutely one. I mean, there's really no other way to look at it. Love him or loathe him. I mean, you cannot outsmart Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. I mean, he won, Lester, and you know you know his inner workings better than anyone. Uh, and, you know, he, he's, he is going to get this over the finish line. Well, I can pretty much guarantee you that as soon as the news uh, of Justice Ginsburg, Ginsburg's passing came out, uh, within an appropriate amount of time, that Senator McConnell was on the phone, Senator Collins and Senator Murkowski and Senator Romney, figuring out exactly where or letting them know that he needed to know where they were going to be on the nomination process to replace Justice Ginsburg as soon as possible. And so he's, he knows he's never going to overpromise. He knows how the system works. He knows who he has to check with. He knows how many votes he has. And he's he's a very, very careful legislator. And I think that's why he's he's a very effective majority leader. And Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is leading Amy McGrath, the Democratic challenger, by 15 percentage points. 15 points in a poll released Tuesday by the Morning Consult. Uh, this according to Lexington 18, Lex 18, which is the local NBC affiliate. In, uh, in Kentucky. The poll was conducted from September 11th to 20th among hundreds of likely voters in the state. The margin of error is plus or minus uh, 2 to 7%. Uh, but, you know, we don't know, we don't know obviously how, how this will impact the race, but he's up by 15 in, in, in the state of Kentucky. Um, so he, he appears to have a solid lead against Amy McGrath in the state state of Kentucky. Does this drown out the oxygen? I feel like I got to get a new phrase, Jeannie Zeno. But does this does this make it more difficult for things like fiscal stimulus or the CR? I mean, uh, or do they become bargaining chips? Do they not? I mean, there just seems to be so much pressure to keep the government open, Jeannie Zeno. Uh, but could Speaker Pelosi throw some hijinks into this or what, what could the political drama be? 
Well, you know, Kevin, every time I say, well, they will never fix this. No, that will never happen. It happens. I've made a career off of it for five years. Go ahead. It's my fifth year Bloomberg anniversary next month. Who's counting? Go ahead. Oh, happy anniversary. You know, so uh, while I, you know, I listened very carefully to her interviews over the weekend, Nancy Pelosi, and, you know, she had her arrows and her quiver. And, you know, at one point she said, you know, the CR, we all agree we need to get so important. We have to keep the government open. So part of me wants to say that, you know, that's going to go forward, definitely. On the other hand, uh, you know, she has got to be under enormous pressure from her, her, her progressive, the end of her caucus, to say, use every bow, as she says, in your quiver to slow this thing down. And if that means, you know, playing with, if you will, the CR, is that something that's completely off the table? I wouldn't think so for some Democrats for, for whom this is, you know, something that they're even talking about issues like impeachment of the attorney general or a second impeachment of the president, which I can't imagine. But, um, so but she floated I do it. Think Wait, but I have to interrupt. She floated it. It was and the talk of the town. Attack, but yes, it was. It was the talk. I'm telling you, in the halls of Congress, I couldn't take two steps to cups, which, by the way, I don't even think is open or they have bad hours because I couldn't get a cup of coffee when I was up on the hill. But, I mean, Lester Munson, and Speaker Pelosi floating another impeachment. I mean, wow. Wow. Kevin, we live in amazing times. You're a young person. I hope you appreciate how special this is. <laughs> special, that's a word for it. controversies going on. There's yeah. a lot of news to cover. This is this is great for your business, my friend. <laughs> but 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 in, but all kidding aside, all kidding aside, I mean, could they finagle? Same question that I put to Jeannie. Could they absolutely just say, you know what, we are going to shut down the government. We are going to burn down the barn in order to try to block this, Lester. I mean, really, they're talking impeachment. I think that would be a huge mistake yep. uh, by think? the Democrats. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I think they've, they've got an opportunity here with the court possibly changing to enhance their electoral prospects in November. But they have to be smart. They can't just throw everything at the wall. They've got to be very careful. Whoever the nominee ends up being, they need to be careful about personal attacks, about attacking someone's religion or anything like that, and instead focus on the issues and keep it pretty tight on Obamacare and this pre-existing condition issue. Then they've got a real chance. Their model should, for the Democrats, their model should be 2018, when they avoided focusing on crazy issues and instead tried to show that their candidates were moderate and reasonable and would run the government better. And they ran the table in the House, and they came pretty close in the Senate. Uh, that, that should be the model. Nancy Pelosi is smart enough to know that, but I think maybe she's come a little unmoored in the last few months with impeachment happening and pandemic. They may have lost the, the formula. They've got to get back to let's go for those mainstream voters. Let's try not to unnecessarily offend people. Let's let's go get the independents. Lord knows Trump isn't trying to get them. If Democrats can go get the independents, they could win this thing. Jeannie, is the is the are these swing state Democrats in in, in Congress are they at risk? If they don't get a fiscal stimulus deal. And by the way, I got to give a shout out to my friend Lisa Bramowitz on the Bloomberg surveillance team. Lisa says she doesn't like to call it fiscal stimulus. She likes to call it fiscal support. I totally agree. I don't see how you look at these. Th- this is stimulus when folks are literally trying to just keep open. And I think fiscal support is what we ought to be calling it because it seems like a no brainer. Some of this stuff. Go ahead, Jeannie. 
Yeah, no, and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, we have, you know, you look at the number of people devastated by the pandemic. I was just looking at the numbers just where I am in yeah. New York City in terms of the hotel business, for instance, and people who Ugh. work. These are low middle income people who work for hotels, which have been decimated. Awesome. And so your point, it's not a stimulus. It is, it is, you know, needed support. And I do think both Democrats and Republicans are at risk if they can't pass common sense legislation in a pandemic. I mean, you know, there's very, we don't ask a lot of our government, but they should be able right. to help us in a pandemic. And to me, yeah. that's more important than anything right now. Lester Munson, Principal of Government Relations Firm, BGR Group, a Republican uh, insider. Thank you, Lester. Always great to talk with you. And of course, Jeannie Zeno, my friend Jeannie Zeno, Iona College professor and Bloomberg Politics contributor. I miss the times when we were all on set together, me, you, Rick, Weston. We'd get, we'd get Lester in on there. I'd be eating snacks in the breaks. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. My name is Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and for Bloomberg Radio. What a beautiful day outside. Gorgeous. I said it's such a nice day. We got to check in with Congressman Denver Riggleman. He's a Republican from Virginia. Congressman, how are you? What what are how how are you doing in these bizarre times? Hey man, the sun comes up every morning, Kevin. You know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, does it? You know, I find it because last know, week, last morning. week, I thought it was the moon because of all the wildfire smoke. But what do I know? Go ahead. Absolutely, absolutely, that is true. Uh, but no, the sun comes up, and uh, you know, you just keep moving forward and doing the best you can, and. I probably had the most interesting two and a half to three years that I can remember. Um, you got to so, write a book. Uh, I got one coming, and uh, I'm writing another one right now. And um, so I actually got two coming um, that, that I've been writing. So a lot of it's a little bit different than other politicians. I promise you, mine aren't self-aggrandizing sort of mythological pieces of tripe. You know, they actually are, uh, you know, where you're trying to create some kind of religious you know, like you're the you're the guy, you know, and yeah. like your circumstances were so special. They're yeah, not even a religion. It's more they just want a lot of Twitter followers. Go ahead. I think that's what it is. And it's always, you know, sort of mythologized. Mine's pretty self-deprecating. So uh, <laughs> it really comes across, you know, it's the guy just tries to do the best he can. Right. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, a lot of it's about my, you know, my past and counterterrorism, but also conspiracy theories and how I've learned how easy they are to, to sort of uh, to, to perpetuate and and also about being an accidental congressman, you know, and uh, yeah. how that happened and, and what it was like to be a non-politician in a political world. It's just, yeah, I can't wait to read the book. Uh, you've got a bill out that I want to talk about called the Hemp Opportunity Zone Act. Yes. And what I love about this is even though that you're not going to be in office uh, next Congress, you're still introducing legislation. Which is really, oh my, I think it says uh, a lot about you. Um, but tell us about the Hemp Op Opportunity Zone Act. I got to tell you, Kevin, you know, I worked six to eight months on that bill. And it, and it started the fact that Virginia wasn't on the crop insurance list for hemp. And here we are with this huge tobacco infrastructure and growing hemp. So I worked with USDA and Sonny Purdue to get us on the hemp. There's only 13 states to get us on the list. Then I sent a letter about deregulatory issues. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why aren't we incentivizing farmers in a high-risk area like hemp that's so unstable? Um, why don't we do it in a way that not only has a marketability study but actually defines 
uh, what they need to do in order to get the tax deductions and capital, you know, with capital gains, sort of mim- mimicking not only the Opportunity Zones Act, but the, I don't know if you've, you know, heard of the Gigabit Opportunity Zone Act, right? Uh, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. all of these acts, right? So we, we tried to mimic that, but then tried to make it very special or very specific for uh, hemp growers. And I'm just so proud of it, um, you know, and it's long term, right? It's, it's for people who are willing to take the risk to grow hemp in all these agricultural areas. And it's really not limited to the size of the of the grower initially. It's anybody who wants to get involved with it because I think it needs to be equal. And not only that, Kevin, you know what's incredible is that I had two bills come out of committee last week, which was the uh-huh. Ensuring Lasting Smiles Act for Kids for Congenital Deformities and mm-hmm. also the SORG Act, the State Opioid Response, Act, uh, Response uh, Grant Act. And I did that with uh, David Trone out of Maryland. So two bipartisan bills out of committee, another one put down. I got the Purple Star Bill out there for families that had uh, veterans who committed suicide. I, I've been working my butt off because I'm going to run through the tape because you serve for two years, you serve for two years, regardless of the circumstance, you do the best you can because you signed up. Well, and I, and I, I you know, you and I have talked about this. You've, you've alluded to it publicly. I mean, I'm not sure this is the, the final chapter in your political book, personally. I mean, you've even openly <laughs> floated with the idea of of maybe running for governor or whatnot. And, you know, you don't, you don't run a marathon to mile 26, and I don't think, sir, that you're in mile 26. I think you're in, like, mile one. But uh, you well, run to 26.2. You know what I'm saying? I well, mean, someone I, told me that. I'm six weeks out from the election day. Here we are. We're at mile 26. you got to finish the race you're in. you got to finish it. you got Yeah, it doesn't really matter about the presidential election or the elections going on. It matters about right. the— it matters about the legislation I can get through for the citizens of Virginia's 5th District. That's that's yeah. who I'm loyal to. That's who I work for. I don't work for anybody else. I don't oh, so work you're for a public president. servant? You mean you're, you're still focusing on the service aspect of your job? Remarkable. Yeah, I don't, I mean, what, I don't what, find too many of those people anymore, Congressman. <laughs> well, I get to do that because I have a great life outside of it, right, Kevin? Because <laughs> you run you a whiskey. Because you... you run a distillery. <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong at all. It's, you know, being able to start multiple companies from counterterrorism to whiskey, I think yeah. uh, I'm, pr- I'm, you know, I've been able to live the American dream. And people are like, oh, my God, you got railroaded in that weird drive through Dairy Queen thing in a church parking lot. I'm like, yeah, it was it was corrupt. It was completely wrong. Uh, but it does, but the sun comes up every morning. You got to be the best person you can be. And and, you, d- you know, you don't cry or spill milk. You move forward. You always move forward. If you do that, you find out you can do some great things. Yeah, or you just scream into your pillow and just make sure no one can hear you. You know what I'm saying? You know, you got to be able to let it out. Let me ask you about this. Are we going to get fiscal stimulus? What's the drama? What's the holdup? Because it, it, it makes no sense whether you're out there in rural Virginia or you're in a city for people who cannot understand. And I don't even like calling it fiscal stimulus anymore. It should be called fiscal support because this is insane. Yeah. I mean, across the pond... They're, they're going to impose restrictions. I don't want to use the word lockdown because lockdown is incorrect, but they're imposing restrictions for at least six months, Boris Johnson is saying. I mean, that could come here through no fault of any – I mean, you know, and I don't know. I just – I don't understand, Congressman, why, the, why, why there can't be some type of bipartisan deal. I just – I can't wrap my head around it. I think most people – and, you know, now that I have this whole two years of experience, right, Kevin, but, you know, I think um, – I think what it, what it comes down to is people want to be Twitter famous or sort of clickbait famous rather than yep. getting things done. And reporters you know, and I too. Think all- I shouldn't have just said that, but reporters too. Reporters too. Oh, Go I've ahead. Oh, trust me. I listen. They're the ones who made me number one on Google Images for Bigfoot, right? I mean, come on. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. but um, 
you know, that, you know, it is about clickbait. It's about, you know, that kind of stuff going on. And while you have the workforces, and I, and I counted myself as a workhorse, listen, you know, I, I guess I could have been a show horse with my amazing dashing good looks, Kevin, but, you know, I'm going to get in trouble. I can't talk. Keep talking so that I don't talk. <laughs> well, I mean, it comes down to this is, Listen, when you got somebody five foot foot seven that's built like a fire plug, I'm probably not going to be you know the center pole for Chainsaw Magazine, you know. And oh my so I got to go, to, you know, I got to work, you know. And um, so it's been a, it's been an interesting time for me. I've been very blessed in my life, Kevin, as you know, and you've been great. But I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to fight for people. Well, get the, what what about can't. the deal? What about the deal on fiscal support? I can't believe there, we don't have a deal yet. You know, I've been screaming about business liability protections for intimidification. And, I mean, I've been saying, listen, guys, you know, we are going down a bad path here by not caring about the American people. And now with the death, sadly, I mean, you know, God bless her, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? We now, yeah, I think, have so much going on on the other side here. I'd be very surprised if we got a stimulus deal. And I think that is just a shame for the American people. And I think it's a, I think it's a pox, really, on the Congress. What's one thing on your radar? We got a minute left. One thing on your radar. Oh, the one thing on my radar is yeah. making my decision for what I'm going to do. You know, here in the Commonwealth, but what's really on my radar is yeah. if I can get my big thing. And I know this isn't as sexy as you want to hear. Is can I get the Ensuring Lasting Smiles Act on the floor for children with congenital deformities? No, to that's close the huge. I mean, that, I mean, that would is, essentially, for people who don't know, I mean, what that would essentially do is allow for health insurance for kids who are 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 facing, and families who are facing just her, a, a really, really unfortunate situation, and health insurance should cover it. Do you, I, do you, hopefully yeah, it gets passed. They can't grow teeth. They can't eat, you know, and, uh, you know, there's been loopholes there, but I got a call from the dental associate, Denver, you are the man, you know, and, yeah. you know, to have a Republican and Democrat lead this through with 310 co-sponsors taking two years or more to do this. You know, God bless America. These are this is when you look at Congress and say maybe they can do something good, and you know, and and I'm going to be very proud of this if we get this through. Congressman Denver Riggleman, a Republican from Virginia, thanks as always for uh, for making time for me. And uh, I used a lot of restraint there, Congressman, because you could have gotten me in a lot of trouble. And I could see our executive producer in the video chat, Christine Murata, being like ke- like shaking her head, like Kevin, don't talk, just don't talk. <laughs> You tell her hi for me and tell her that, you know, me and you have gotten trouble before. You know, when you broke that I was considering running for governor, it created a firestorm here. In I know. So, I'm so, you know, I'm not sorry. It's my job. Don't hate the player. Know, hate the I game. Know, I'm Kevin Cirilli. <laughs> You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.